Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. Welcome to another episode of the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. I am your host, Dr. Barry Pierre, your favorite board-certified internist, founder of PR Medical Consulting, helping you empower yourself for better health with the number one podcast for patient advocacy, affirmation, and education. This week, we bring you one of the tried-and-true topics here in general primary care medicine, which is cholesterol. This is another disease process that when it's out of control, you don't really feel bad, right? You don't really have any symptoms whatsoever. The problem is, is that all of the issues associated with an uncontrolled cholesterol, you definitely notice, including heart attacks, strokes, and uh, peripheral vascular disease. So we're going to give a nice little educational breakdown on what cholesterol is, what high cholesterol is, what are your goal numbers, and more importantly, um, options for treatment. Like always, remember to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star review, especially for my Apple Podcasts and Spotify users. You guys have a great day. This week, we are going to be talking about cholesterol, right? This is something that I've been working on trying to get back to the basics as far as just healthcare in general. I think with this past two years dealing with the pandemic and seemingly thinking that everything was somehow going to be tied to COVID-19 because it kind of was. I don't want us to kind of forget about the basics, right? So a few weeks ago, we actually talked about high blood pressure. This week, we're talking about high cholesterol, right? Which is a very common uh, disease process, especially here in this country. More importantly, it's one of the more commonly ordered tests when you go to visit your primary care doctor, especially for your routine annual visits. And it's why I want to kind of make sure we don't forget it because just like high blood pressure, It is one of those things where if it's elevated and uncontrolled, you don't really have any direct effects from it, which always is a bad issue, right? Because if you don't feel bad because a certain issue is elevated, then you don't typically want to do anything or have the urge to do something, right? But I'm here to talk about why it's very important to not only know what your high cholesterol, what your cholesterol levels are, we're going to discuss some different level of cholesterol. You probably heard good cholesterol versus bad cholesterol. And more importantly, we're going to talk about the importance of uh, treatment options, right? And typically, we don't even really focus on treatment options. But I think especially with cholesterol, and especially when we talk about the risk factors and what causes cholesterol to be bad, which a lot of it is our diet, right? I think it's very important to make sure that we touch on the dietary aspects of it, right? So of course, let's, let's give some quick facts out the way just so you guys can kind of wrap your head around how important this cholesterol is. We know that right now here in this country, United States, about 38% of people who are diagnosed with cholesterol are actually um, treated appropriately. Um, I'm sorry, uh, 38% of people of all Americans uh, older than the age of 18 have high cholesterol. Only 54%, right? I I, kind of shorted this. 54% who could benefit from adequate treatment are adequately being treated. So let's talk about what is cholesterol. And I think a lot of it, when we talk about cholesterol, there's two different things that we know. The general public typically talks about cholesterol in terms of good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, more importantly, HDL versus LDL. But we just want to talk about what is 
it, cholesterol, why is it even important? So we know cholesterol is this kind of waxy substance that, you know, lives in the blood and it's made from the liver. And that's one of the things that when we're talking about prevention and uh, treatment, our bodies make up enough cholesterol so that we're good. Like we don't need any extra cholesterol. But unfortunately, when we're talking about like where we get cholesterol from, we'll see how the abundance comes around. And cholesterol is actually available. And more importantly, it's uh, needed for central functions in the cells um, as far as hormones uh, creation as well as digestion. And we could find it in foods, uh, especially animals, animals, eggs, uh, dairy products, seafood, poultry. So there, there's lots of different ways for us to get excess cholesterol. Because remember I said, our body makes enough from the liver by itself that you wouldn't have to do anything else and you would have adequate enough cholesterol stores. But like this country, we typically have more than we need. So uh, what are the proteins, right? And I think this is more importantly for the people who, when we're trying to wrap our head around like what cholesterol is, like cholesterol doesn't just live in the blood, right? It actually has to be carried around. And so what we know of what cholesterol gets carried, have how cholesterol gets carried around is in terms of LDL, HDL, and we'll even talk about VLDL, right? So HDL, that is what we have always been accustomed to knowing what is good cholesterol, and why is HDL important? HDL say, hey, you know what? I see cholesterol in the blood, in the blood vessels, right? Let me bring it back to the liver. But what else does HDLs do, right? Because I think it's important to understand that, like, all right, it's a good thing that it takes it away from the vessels and brings it back to liver. But what else does HDLs do, right? It's actually very good for anti-inflammatory effects and very good for antioxidant effects, right? So we have a couple of different functions that, HDLs or the quote unquote good cholesterol serve. Now let's think about the LDLs. Sorry to break your concentration. I know you're probably knee deep into today's episode, but do not forget, check out our Lunch and Learn community store, shop.drbarrypierre.com. Remember to use the code EMPOWER10 and make sure you are leaving us a five-star review, especially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcasts. LDLs, I think, have gotten a bad rap because we always attribute it as being the bad cholesterol. But what LDLs do is that it serves a function. I kind of mentioned before, we need cholesterol in general for hormones creation. We need it for digestive processes. HDLs help do that, right? HDLs say, hey, you know what? You need, you need, hey, there's a cell that's damaged. Go over here. Hey, we need a digestive food. Go over here. LDLs help bring cholesterol to areas that it's needed. So it's not necessary that it's a bad thing. What typically becomes a bad issue is that, hey, when it goes to you know point B, sometimes it just stays in point B and it kind of builds up in point B, right? And point B could be vessels in your brain, vessels in your heart, vessels in your legs, right? So if LDL, and again, when it's this gets to the destination and it kind of remains there, if you have an abundance of cholesterol build up there, that's where you can have plaque formation. That's when you can have disease. That's when you can have strokes, heart attacks. All these things kind of happen downwind, not because LDL is inherently bad. It's just because of the the kind of the, I always kind of say the side effects of it is that, hey, its job is to bring cholesterol to areas that it's needed. The, the only problem is, is that it brings too much, right? So I, I, I hate to call it bad cholesterol, but when we're thinking about good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, that's how we have to think about it. 
And then the third type of protein that we should that we're actually very aware of is the VLDL. So that's the very low density lipoproteins. Those carry a lots of different lipoproteins, but the more important one that we know of is triglycerides. So a lot of times when we're talking about cholesterol, cholesterol panel, like we always know what our good cholesterol is, we always know what our bad cholesterol is. And one of the reasons why your doctor typically has you fast before they do cholesterol levels is because your triglycerides, which are very sensitive to what we eat, stress, other um, chemical-related issues in our body, they can either elevate or rise. So the triglycerides, which are carried by the VLDL, they have similar functions to the LDL, but again, obviously not as significant, but it's still present. So let's talk about this aspect of the traditional testing, right? And when we talk about getting our annual blood tests, obviously, and we'll probably, in fact, I'm, I'm, if I haven't done an episode, I'll do an episode of what your typical doctor runs on an annual blood screening. But one of the more common ones is your cholesterol panel, right? So what is included in a cholesterol panel that would make us uh, need to be wary of? Like, so we know one is your, we, we get a total number of cholesterol. Because even though I talked about HDL, LDL, and the VLDLs, right? So your lipoproteins, those aren't all of your proteins, right? So when we're doing a cholesterol panel in the office or in, at the hospital or in a clinic, we one test for the total amount of total amount of cholesterol in your blood, right? So that's what we typically do. We also will measure for the HDLs. We also will measure for the LDLs, and we'll also measure for triglycerides. So you won't typically see on your test VLDL, but just assume that when they're measuring for triglycerides, that's specifically what they're measuring for. And now that's kind of the basic standard cholesterol test. There's some more advanced tests that I've seen go around where, you know, they're doing genetic profiles, they're checking for CRPs and other testing, which for this discussion is not really where we want to go, but just understand that you may have your some doctors, depending on your family history, say, you know what, I think we need to order a more extensive uh, cholesterol panel just to kind of get the nitty gritty, right? Again, neither here or there. We don't have guidelines that recommend for it, and we don't have necessary guidelines that recommend against it. So it's kind of really up to your doctor's uh, discretion on when they do. But one thing I will talk about is the ASBB score, right? So that is your arteriosclerotic cardiovascular disease score, right? Sometimes on your cholesterol exams, you will actually see a percentage of that score or risk factor score there, right? And I get this question a lot, either online or uh, when I was taking care of patients uh, in the office, like, hey, what, is, what does this score mean? Like, what, why is it important? What does 10% mean? What does 30% mean? What does 80% mean? And what are they framing it as? So the ASVD score is a 10 risk, 10 year risk score that says, hey, you know what? Based on the general population who does not have any risk factors that you have, this is your risk of getting one cardiovascular event. Again, that's stroke, that's heart attack, um, you know, some issues with peripheral vascular disease, right? That is your risk based on factors that we kind of put in the calculator. And again, a lot of these things, especially your more computer systems are kind of like formulated. In fact, if you Google it, ASVD score, you could easily you know, find out what your ASVD score is today. So these are the factors are associated with your ASVD score, age, gender, race, blood pressure, and then smoking status, right? Again, if you're a smoker, 
and you're part of this lunch and learn community, I don't know why you're a smoker. It doesn't make any sense in the world. But like, if you're a smoker, stop it yesterday because don't. It's, there's there's literally no benefits of uh, cigarette smoking, right? There's none, right? There's nothing that I can say. Oh, it, no, no, no benefits at all. So stop smoking. Um, so that's the ASVD score. So let's talk about some of the risk factors associated with high cholesterol and and causes more importantly. So I said that in the beginning, your body already makes cholesterol. It already makes enough cholesterol for your body. That's it. Now, when we talk about risk factors associated with high cholesterol or diseased cholesterol, what do you think number one, number one is? Your diet, right? So your diet is a huge significant risk factor for those who have high cholesterol. What you put in right? Is if it's way too much, right? It's going to add to issues associated with high cholesterol. We know genetics always play a factor, right? So you can have the best diet whatsoever, but if you have family history, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, brother, sister associated with high cholesterol, you need to be concerned that you may be dealing with high cholesterol from a genetic component. Because again, the LDL, the HDL, these are all genetic things. But again, maybe if you have something in your genetic makeup that makes you produce more cholesterol uh, than, than you need to or makes you not produce enough of the good cholesterol, uh, you know, that could be an issue in and of itself. Uh, smoking history, of course. If you have a history of diabetes or hypertension, that also will put you at risk for um, patients with high cholesterol, which is why in that ASVD score, whether you're diabetic and your, your blood pressure uh, ranges actually factor in that calculation. And age is important. And now important for age and gender is important. So I'll separate those two right now. So um, men have higher risk factors associated with cardiovascular risk than women in general, right? So just boom, if you're a man, higher risk. Now, when we break it down to age, we know that we have to start looking at it from an age-related standpoint. And that's one of the more interesting things about uh, ambulatory care medicine is that it's not a cookie cutter approach for anybody. And, and even when I'm talking about one specific disease, you know, based on your age, that could put you at one risk level versus another. So if you're a man older than age 45, all right, there go your significant risk factor. If you're a woman older than the age of 55, that puts you at a significant risk factor. Now, you may be wondering, like, why is it that men have a higher risk factor when they're younger versus women? And if, you know, if you have to think about it, right, I just, again, what we can do, a, you know, a moment of silence for a second, just to kind of think about, like, what happens with women or what are women typically going through up until the age of 55 that will, quote unquote, protect them from some of these issues associated with cardiovascular disease? All right. So I'm pretty sure someone in on the, the YouTube or uh, the, the podcast probably answered this question. Yes. So it is menopause. So as women are producing estrogen, estrogen has been shown to be a cardioprotective factor in that process. Now, that being said, because we know it's a cardioprotective factor, once you hit the age 55 on average, which is typically when menopause occurs on average, then you lose your protection from the estrogen, and that's when you get put into a higher significant uh, bucket from a risk factor standpoint, right? So this is something good to know. So when we talk about the goals of care, right, when we're talking about like, hey, okay, my doc, I will go to my doctor's office, I get my annual exam, 
I get my testing done and he he shoots me back a list of numbers, right? Like what goal numbers am I looking for? So uh, the recent guidelines, 2018 guidelines say that for your total cholesterol, and we'll break it up into the four different parts. For your total cholesterol, if we can get your cholesterol under 200, we're great with that. We love that. And because we know that over 200, we got to start asking questions. We got to start thinking about lifestyle changes. We got to start thinking about medication, which we'll talk about at the end. For your LDL, right, your low-density lipoproteins, right, the AKA bad cholesterol, which, again, I hate that it got that rap, but it's the quote-unquote bad cholesterol. We know that it depends. And the reason why I say it depends is because if you have no cardiovascular risk factors whatsoever, like none, no diabetes, no hypertension, your age is great. Like if you have no of those, none of those significant risk factors, uh, we know that, you know, we can actually let you go up to about 130, right, and be okay. But let's say you do have some risk factors. And mind you, I'm going to say risk factors and not disease. Let's say you have some risk factors for a cardiovascular disease. Let's say you might have hypertension, you might have diabetes, that number actually changes, right? So it goes from us being okay up to 130 for the LDLs to us only being okay up to 100. Now, let's think about this. Let's say you're one of those people who actually had the cardiovascular event. You had the stroke. You had the heart attack. Guess what numbers we're looking for when we're looking at your cholesterol panel? So, yes, yeah, so we're looking at a cholesterol level of, uh, from an LDL standpoint, of 70. So we get real, real strict as far as the LDL, especially when we know that you either have had a cardiovascular event or you're at a significant risk for a cardiovascular event. Now, on the flip side, the good cholesterol, one of the best things about having a high HDL is that it actually is a positive meaning that a higher HDL is actually a positive risk factor, meaning that if you have negative one because your total cholesterol is high, but you have a high HDL, you add that positive one, guess what? Now you have zero risk factor, right? So again, it kind of, it balances out one of your risk factors if one of those things kind of happen to be out of balance. So we know over 45, you're good, right? Because over 45 means you have a lot of high-density lipoproteins that help bring cholesterol back to the liver, that help with anti-inflammatory effects, that help with antioxidant effects. So we know that if you do a good job from a genetic standpoint, again, a lot of this could be just strictly genetics, from a genetic standpoint and having a high HDL, we know that the positive benefits are there. And the triglycerides, just less than 150. And again, question I always get is, does this test have to be fasting? Guidelines will tell you not anymore because they don't see significant changes, but majority of your doctors are still going to kind of follow that. Hey, if your triglycerides are high, it needs to be on the lower side. It just is what it is. That's from, from that standpoint there. So how is it tested? Um, again, we talk about it from a fasting standpoint. So let's talk about treatment options, right? Because I want to make sure we get the treatment options to end it out, right? So there are a quite a few different treatment options. In fact, I'm actually going to, if you're a Medicine Monday watcher, I'm actually going to uh, highlight um, a uh, the Mayo Clinic because I, I do like the Mayo Clinic from a treatment standpoint. Let's see here. Hopefully you can see that. I'll try to make that big as possible. 
So uh, first and foremost, one of the, the more important uh, medication and this class of medications that we always talk about in regards to treatment options for cholesterol are the statins. They are one of the most researched class of medications, the most studied class of medications, the most prescribed class of medications, right? They, they do an amazing job and their function is to block a substance that your liver needs to actually make the cholesterol. Because again, you can't have high cholesterol if I block the substance that's needed to make high cholesterol. Um, number two, uh, cholesterol absorption inhibitors. And then you see, oh, there's a whole bunch. Of, if you're watching the YouTube channel, there's a whole bunch of names on there. We're not going to name it because, again, we're not sponsored by uh, none of these medications here. Uh, cholesterol absorption inhibitors. Uh, your small intestine absorbs cholesterol from your diet and releases it into your bloodstream. This drug, these types of drugs will actually reduce blood cholesterol by limiting the absorption of dietary cholesterol. We talked about this before. One of the biggest issues associated with having excess cholesterol is because we eat excess cholesterol. So if I get a medication that helps block that excess, guess what? My cholesterol level should go down. A newer class of medications, bambidoic acids, uh, work the same way as statins therapy. Uh, but they're less likely to cause pain. And I like that aspect because one of the, especially for my patients, one of the biggest issues associated with statin medications is that it can cause muscle cramping, muscle pain to the point where some patients cannot tolerate it whatsoever. So of course you need an option to say, hey, you know what? I can't give you a statin, but I can give you something that works like a statin. Of course, because it's a newer drug, it's going to be more expensive. So that is something to think about. Uh, Bioacid resins, right? So your cholesterol uses, uh, your, your liver uses cholesterol to make bile acids uh, needed for digestion. Um, and what happens is these medications here will actually bind to the um, bile acids. And what that causes is that your, your, your cholesterol, your liver says, oh, you know what? If I can't bind I'm not going to create cholesterol because I don't see much out there. And then you end up re re producing less cholesterol. And uh, this is another class, right? Especially when we talk about the genetic aspects of uh, cholesterol medications, uh, PCSK9 inhibitors. Uh, these drugs can help the liver absorb more LDL cholesterol, which of course lowers the amount of total cholesterol circulating in the blood, right? So these are some um, uh, monoclonal uh, type medications that work. Um, and again, there's other medications specifically for the triglycerides because I have a lot of patients where their total is fine, their LDL is fine, their HDL is fine, but their triglycerides are through the root. So we have certain medications such as fibrates, such as niacin that work specifically for triglycerides. So and I, I want to, before I, I get off here, right, I want to make sure that we do not you know, leave out because I, I already know I'm going to get this question, Doc, what about what about the uh, natural medications, right? Or what about natural supplements? Because what's happened again, which I, again, I love it, right? Is people just want a different option, right? Because again, a lot of people still think that all of the doctors are bought out by big pharmacy and whatever, right? So anything that we prescribe, they think that we're only prescribing because someone's paying us, which no, clearly not the case. I wish. Um, so what are some natural options for cholesterol treatment? So one of the big things, obviously, right, is lifestyle changes, right? We have to decrease our intake of the animal products that, like, will cause us to have excess cholesterol, right? So whether it's beef, 
right? Where there's chicken, right? Where there's fish, right? If we decrease our consumption of products that have cholesterol, then we won't have excess cholesterol from a dietary standpoint. Um, and again, and this is just assuming that you don't have any genetic reason for your cholesterol. Um, others, but other supplements that also work, um, it, other things that work outside of taking, um, outside of taking medications, we know that increase uh, activity level because sedentary lifestyle can play a significant risk factor for having elevated cholesterol levels. So if you if you work out more, that can also increase. Uh, your uh, ability to get rid of your excess cholesterol. Um, natural supplements such as red yeast rice, such as omega-3 fatty acids, which are probably one of the more common natural supplements out there. And the problem is, and I want to put an asterisk on these natural supplements. Like if you go to any grocery store right now, there's going to be a whole section of natural supplements. And more importantly, you're going to have like 10 different people who will create their own omega-3 fatty acids. And that's one of the biggest issues from a physician standpoint is because it's not regulated like the statins are, like the um, PSP, CSK9 inhibitors, like the cholesterol absorption, because it's not regulated to that, especially from a dosing standpoint, I can't tell you that one brand is better than the other. I can just say that we know that the studies show that if you get enough red yeast rice or you get enough omega-3s, Yes, it can reduce your cholesterol level. But one thing it cannot do, one thing it has not been shown to do is reduce your risk of getting the secondary events. Because remember, especially with statins, the, the big claim to fame with statins is not that it can just reduce your cholesterol level, which it can. It's the fact that it can reduce you your risk from getting a heart attack. It's the fact that it can reduce your risk from getting a stroke. Like that's where the bang for the buck comes in with these medications. And unfortunately, when it comes to natural supplements, it's just not, we don't have the evidence. And more importantly, the evidence is not there. And there's quite a other few medications and supplements uh, that have been, that talked about decreasing your cholesterol, like ginger and soy and those things. We just don't have enough evidence. And as from a clinician standpoint, clinician standpoint, if we do not have the evidence to show I can't be out here telling you like, oh yeah, go you know drink some ginger tea. And I, I can't do that, right? Because I don't have any evidence to back up what I'm saying, right? I'd be like these anti-vax folks, right? Like I, I just can't do it. So again, that is, that's pretty much what's it for our discussion today on cholesterol. Again, this is one of the things that as a patient, and again, as a patient, by the time you're like 18, you should be getting an annual annual testing, like annual testing, one of your annual testing should be, should be your cholesterol. Of course, your doctor's going to factor in family history, uh, dietary medication issues. Your doctor's going to factor all of those stuff in. So they may test you more frequently or not, but it's important to at least know your status, right? When we talked about blood pressure, it was knowing your status, knowing where your blood pressure is when you're just kind of walking around. Now we're dealing with a secondary disease process that when it's high, you don't really know it until something happens, right? And we don't want you to get to the point where you have the stroke, where you have the heart attack, where you found to have severe peripheral vascular disease with significant uh, a lack of blood flow in your arms and legs. We don't want you to get to that point before you realize like, oh, wow, my cholesterol is in control. Like that's, 
No, that's not the case here. We don't want that, especially here in the lunch and learn community, right? So again, I am yours truly, Dr. Barry Pierre. Again, thank you for uh, staking for another uh, session in the lunch and learn community. Today, we talked about high cholesterol. I'm gonna see you guys next week. Thank you for getting to the end of the episode. I am yours truly, Dr. Barry Pierre, favorite board certified internist. Like always, remember to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star review. And more importantly, share this to at least two of the five of your friends and family members that you know that could be empowered with the words that you heard today. Again, so appreciative of all you guys' support. See you guys next week.